Dotnet Rocks, episode 1087, with guest John Papa. Recorded Monday, January 5th, 2015. Welcome back to Don and Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're here for another hour. John Papa is here. I'm very excited to talk to John about what's new in HTML land. Indeed. Yeah. But uh, first, I, you know, I was looking for something and I found it. Uh-oh. And I want to share it. So roll that music. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? This, it could be like the year 2000 all over again. You know, I've been accused of, you know, sort of being behind the curve when it comes to like utilities and things. But I just, you know, I didn't care about my desktop image all that much. In right. fact, the last time I changed my desktop to something that was cool was something that you told me about. It's something that takes satellite images and and gives you this composite satellite image that changes over time. Right, right. It shows the actual cloud patterns and goes to day and night modes. And I thought that was so cool, but it somehow it interfered with my system and I had to take it off. And I can't remember what it was, but it did interfere with things. Anyway, I just wanted to, I, I noticed that some stuff was getting burned in and I wanted to once again put up some different, something different on a regular basis. And I know how to write code to change the wallpaper. That's not a big deal, but I didn't want to do it. Right. So I just went looking for somebody's done this, right? Yeah. You're not the first. No, I'm not the first. And, you know, we were probably looking for these things in the year 1995, right? And it was yep. probably done that long ago. Do you remember that toaster screensaver? Yeah. That's a long time ago. That is a long time ago. Or the Desert Island one. But I found a really cool one. And if you go to tinyurl.com slash background switcher, this is called John's Background Switcher. And okay. what's great about it is the sources that you can pull down from. So you can point it to a folder on your computer. Yeah, yeah, that's boring. But how about Flickr, Facebook, Instagram, Vlad Studio Wallpapers, a site called 500px, which has great photography, any RSS feed, right? So like Lolcats, Photobucket, Tumblr, whatever. Right. Fanfare Web Albums. Uh, Smug Mug Photo Galleries. Don't even know what that is, but uh, also Picasso Web Albums. And wow. How about this? Google Image Search. So you put in a search term, and you just get pictures from anywhere, and they mm -hmm. just show up, and you can put it on an interval. Um, you will never know what will be on your wall. Yeah, exactly. You can be surprised. <laughs> so you have <laughs> very to be, surprised. You have to be careful, like with Google Image Search. It, it, you know, you can allow strict safe on baby dolls. Definitely want to put strict search. Yeah, I think so. On, <laughs> unless you live by yourself with a bunch of college kids, <laughs> you want to put. But then that the search on. terms are very different at that point. Yes. 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 But uh, I've been running it for a couple of days, and it's really cool. And That's yes, fun. it does surprise me. And I have it set to like five minutes. And every five minutes, some random photo. Oh, my Facebook friends. Yeah, I can, you know, the latest from my Facebook friends, right? So right. I can see a picture of somebody that I knew once and say, hey, isn't that? <laughs> but I wouldn't normally go looking for it. It's just kind of neat that it comes to me. Which is what you want. That's what I want. Minimum effort. So John's background switcher. Nice. That's it. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1075, and that's the one we did at NDC with Mr. Steve Sanderson when we were talking about spas, 
Although in this case, we we're talking about the Azure portal and using Knockout to build spas. Yeah, that's right. And we got a, a lot of uh, noise around that show. People got really excited about it. Lots of tweets and so forth. A uh, handful of comments. And one of my favorite ones here is from Bart, who says, wow, what a great show. I hung on the lips of Mr. Sanderson. Wait a second. Let's think about that for a minute. <laughs> And re-listened some bits where he was just glossing over a few things too quick for my liking. Yeah. I've been wondering when the term web components was going to come up in .NET Rocks. Yep. I've been listening to your show for two years now, but lately you seem to have lost interest in JavaScript frameworks a little. I mean, after Angular, what more do you need to talk about? Isn't it over? Did I say that out loud? It's really funny that somebody had the idea that we lost interest in in JavaScript frameworks. (laughs) 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 That's really funny. Yeah. I can understand that not all of .NET is interested in it, but me, myself, and I certainly are. So I must confess that I started listening to some more JavaScript-focused podcasts on the side lately and dug Mm -hmm. into web component stuff since that term kept being mentioned, especially in the context of Angular and the hype around material design that Google is working on. Right. Anyway, I do hope you'll continue with the occasional JS goodness because no show rocks like you do. Well, that's awesome. That's great. This show in particular was interesting to me because I'm in the middle of building some web controls and spa functionality using Knockout. Yeah. And we're talking to the man, so, you know, no kidding. Yeah, that's right. I must say Steve was actually pretty modest in mentioning that he's eager for the coming of web components without mentioning his own custom elements. As of the last version of Knockout, which is 3.2.0 from last August, it allows you to create custom elements yourself pretty easily, so I did just that. And I love the code sample Steve set up on the Knockout page and how to use them together with AMD slash requires JS. It was very helpful. Yeah, I think it's we're just getting started here is what it, what I came away with sure. uh, in that conversation. Knockout's custom elements are even supported as far back as IE6. Ugh. It's amazing. And this fact was, for me, the reason to choose Knockout over AngularJS. The current Angular 1.3 has already dropped IE8 support. And in an already much talked about version 2, they seem to be extending the reach of even the current Chrome. Talk about going evergreen. Yeah. Well... Kermit the Frog may have sung It's Not Easy Being Green, but as mentioned in one of your previous shows, it can also be hard and sometimes ungrateful to do brownfield development. So I want to congratulate Steve on helping web developers having an easier time in the brownfields, enabling us to add some green patches here and there. And how you do that is entirely up to you, sir or ma'am. Such a fun comment. Yeah, it was. Went all the way around the whole thing. And Bart, thank you so much for your enthusiasm. Glad you're building some great stuff. I'm sure we've got a fun story for here today as well. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or in any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS, Windows 8, and Android. That's right. And uh, that brings... Oh, my God. What the hell is that? Oh, a, a close-up of lo mein just popped up on my screen. Lo Somebody's lunch. <laughs> You're Facebooking your lunch too close. It looks like worms. <laughs> God, it's so, like, ah! <laughs> All right, I see some downside to your background There switcher. may be. I'm going to have to... Occasionally, your computer terrorizes I'm you. I'm going to have to input some filters here. Uh, John Papa is a well-known technology expert and a former evangelist for Microsoft on the Silverlight, Windows Phone, and Windows 8 client teams. 
John is a Microsoft Regional Director and author of 100-plus articles in 10 books, specializes in professional application development with technologies including HTML5, JavaScript, CSS, Angular, Durandal, Silverlight, WPF, C-Sharp, and .NET. The whole freaking stack. He can often be found speaking around the world at keynotes and sessions for conferences such as Build, Mix, PDC, TechEd, VS Live, Angle Brackets, and etc., etc., uh, John was the first host of the popular show Silverlight TV on Channel 9 and hosted many events, including the Mixer and Open Source Fest and major conferences. He currently enjoys authoring courses for Pluralsight. You can also find John at johnpapa.net or on Twitter at John underscore Papa. Welcome back, John. Hey, guys. How's it all going? That wasn't your domain, was it? No, 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 no. I keep my worms private. Yeah, okay. there you go. I'm glad. Yeah, somebody uh, somebody needs a lesson from you. So so what's new, my friend? Oh, so much. I just started thinking about all the things that I was doing in 2014 since we've just hit the new year. And it's actually been quite a busy year and things uh been really changing quite a lot. Yeah, they sure have. You had a banner year last year, dude. You were everywhere. Yeah, I, I didn't intend to start out that way, but it kind of just unfolded in that direction and uh, a lot of things shook out and I mean, like ng-conf is coming up soon, so I'm starting to get ready for that. That's the Angular conference uh, in... Right. You got to be there. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. great. I'm really honored to be part of that because that's a tough one to get into, which is uh, a lot of fun because you get to talk with a completely different crowd than than the Microsoft crowd that we're sometimes familiar with, too. Sure. You know, and then uh, just recently, I was rewarded the Microsoft MVP, and I just got the Google Development Expert. Oh, congratulations. Wow, that's great. Yeah. You swing both ways. I do. I do. I get up on both sides of the bed at the same time. All right. So both pant legs on at once. (laughs) We could go on there, but we won't. (laughs) I'm just going to let it end. (laughs) There you go. Let that one go. That's pretty smart, John. Slide down. You have been Mr. Spa for so long. Um, Your talks on Pluralsight have been absolutely spectacular. Uh, And your, your talks in person at Angle Brackets and other conferences Tell me, um, are you are, are people still interested in that holistic, whole stack approach to uh, to the spa that you've been uh, talking about for so long? Yeah, you know, it, it really depends where you go and which conference I'm at and, and the audience that you're with. Like, there are some events I go to where the entire room of 300 people that I'm doing a workshop for will be all using Macs, and that's it. Hmm. Everyone's on a Mac. They're all using Sublime or Brackets or um, Atom, and they're using... OS X, you know, pure. And then you go to other shows and everybody's got a Windows PC and everybody's got Visual Studio open. Yeah. So it depends on the audience of what they're using and what they're doing. But the one thing that stays the same in is the interest in SPA in general and just mm. in JavaScript. Uh, the SPA term is, you know, is a crappy term. It's a single page app. Sure. But everybody seems to love this JavaScript world. Oh, I shouldn't say love. I should say everybody's interested in it. Yeah. Everyone's diving. Some people hate it. <laughs> love and JavaScript don't really go together in the same sentence, do they? I mean, there's a lot of people that really love JavaScript, but those tend to be the guys that have been doing it for so long and have yeah. learned, you know, they've got their process down and they've got their libraries down. Yeah, it's it's a mixed bag. Yeah, people people who set up some higher level stuff around it, typically, and then use that over and over. Yeah, I hear the other negative criticism sometimes is folks will say, well, you know, we're really just trying to put lipstick on a pig and we're trying to make a a wrapper around this to make it a better language. And I don't look at it that way. I mean, the stuff we're doing with JavaScript is the same kind of things we did for .NET, uh, you know, years ago where we started trying to make 
the language and the frameworks work better for the applications we are building. I mean, we're always ahead of the language in that stuff. Yeah. The language is there, the tools then follow behind it, and then the leading edge folks try to figure out, okay, I'm actually building applications, I needed to do this for me. And then when you start realizing you're doing things over and over again the same way, you start to say, well, maybe I should make this improvement back to that framework. Case in point there, my brother Jay, uh, Jay Franklin, who's a Java developer, and we've had him on the show before and talked about him. He um, took an Angular class locally here. The instructor turned out to be Brock Allen. No kidding. Yeah. And so Brock was uh, like, you're Carl Franklin's brother. And so, you know, there was that expectation set up automatically that, you know, we have similar philosophies or whatever. And Jay's like, uh, yeah, no, I'm not into this whole Angular thing. I'm here because I have to be. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, what are you talking about? And Jay said, yeah, I just don't think the browser was meant to do all this stuff. And like the lipstick on the pig comment, John was just saying. Yeah, he's very much an old school, you know, um, doesn't use a lot of tools, everything command line, everything text editors. And he's got his stuff down to a science and it and it and it works great but isn't he the guy to win like if you can win jay yeah that's true and uh yeah we ought to take his temperature from time to time and just see how you know sort of like tip over the curmudgeon you know see (laughs) see if see if you can do it the other side is do you really have to win everybody you know what technology have we ever worked on where everybody is in agreement even before all this latest craze in the web even before the web really got crazy in the mid-90s People were really doing, you know, Microsoft work or they were doing COBOL or they were doing Java. I mean, there was no, there was never a one thing really, you know? Yeah. And the fact is we shouldn't be trying to win over people. We should be listening to what their criticisms are and what their concerns are and learning from them. And, you know, he's he's got a point. I love that the today's world, our technology, we learn from other groups, you know, Things are learning from the Ruby world and things are learning from the PHP world and the Java world. Yeah. It's, it's nice to take the best of those things. Hopefully we're taking the best and not the yeah. worst, but and put them together. Sure. So um, what's the latest with Angular and Durandal and, and uh, you know, Rob Eisenberg went to work for Google. He left. And what's uh, what do you think's going on in that space? I think, you know, Rob's brilliant, first of all. He's a good friend of, yeah, we of agree. all of ours. And, Great guy. And I know he really, he went to Google to work with Angular because he wanted to work on some of the things and contribute back. And he really did. He made a positive impact with the stuff he did there. And the new router that's coming out, a lot of that was really, if not written by him, because I know Brian Ford and others worked on it, it was driven by what he did with the Randall. So excited about that. So tell us about that. So the new router is, well, let me tell you what you need in a router, I guess, first. Hmm. So a router in a SPA framework, you need something that's going to let you go from page to page without leaving the browser. And it sounds simple, but when you start getting into hooking into the browser history and the URL and the address bar and all the things a browser does, Mm. and then also making sure you have a way to say, when I go to this route, I want to show this view, this HTML, and get this JavaScript code to run at the same time. Yeah, you can get into situations where you go back and you're actually going forwards, right? You can, and... (laughs) what if you want multiple states to be on the same page and you want to pass data around? And he worked this whole thing out great in Durandal. It was the one, one of the greatest pieces of Durandal, what he called view composition. And some of that, I believe, is, and it's too early to tell for sure, but I have high hopes that a lot of that's going to come out in Angular 2, uh, basically uh, driving that kind of a router state. Because the router that's built into Angular, 
it's not the greatest. And it's even not the one I recommend. It's I write currently if using Angular 1.x, I would recommend the UI router, which is part of Angular UI. Um, so I think that's a big impact that he's had on the Angular team. And in the end, he's a brilliant mind. And I think he just felt like he wanted to go off and sow his own oats and create a um, you know, creates a Randall to be the the great thing that he knows it can be. So, yeah. So, so where do you see that heading? I mean, I, I don't know if you have any more in, inside information than we do, but uh, it, it, Rob's going back to Durandal, uh, or is he going to continue to work on Angular on the side? What is he going to contribute? Do you know what the latest is? I think the best thing that you could say about Rob is he's going to go back into his secret Batman cave and come out with something super cool. I expect that Rob will do exactly that. Yeah, I, I would expect nothing less from him, really. And I, I mean, I've read a blog post which he very eloquently said, you, you know, this is how things have got to be. He's uh, he's a diplomat, give him that. But uh, yeah, be, you know, it, it made a lot of sense to roll Durandal into Angular at the time. Yep. Whether or not it makes sense to go back the other way is, you know, tougher to decide on. Yeah, and things evolve. I mean, Richard and I and, and Carl and I, we've, we've been through what, how many years of these technology shifts and mm. You look at the web today, and it's like it's on super speed, you know? So yep. you, you take a break over Christmas, you come back, and 20 new things have evolved. And it's not JavaScript flavor of the week so much as it is how the web is behaving now. You know, a couple of years ago, is what framework are you using? Now it's less so about the frameworks. They solidified into things like Ember and Durandal and Angular and React now. So there's not like three dozen of them. Now it's more, are you getting into web components? Are you going to use ES6, uh, you know, using evergreen browsers? What are you doing with mobile on the web? Because that's the next frontier. And it's a really good thing that Richard brought up the the web components topic that we talked about with Steve. And, uh, you know, something that is really, really interesting to me. I've been in the component business. I got my start in the component business, right? Working for one of the first vendors of custom controls for this whole stack in, you know, Visual Basic before, you know, morphed into .NET. And uh, so I know all about that stuff and the ease of use of using a, a control and using these re- reusable things. And it just seems like in HTML, JavaScript, CSS, because you have these things sort of scattered all over the place and so context-bound, it's very difficult to just drop something in. And that's one of the things that we all loved about web forms. So you can just drop these things in and they just seem to stretch in all directions and and figure out how to bring it all together. What's the is that the promise of web components to to make it more uh accessible to programmers or is it a, a maintenance thing? I mean, what's the what's the great big promise of components? I think yes to pretty much everything you just said. I think yeah. it'd be more <laughs> accessible to developers. I think you're going to get a little bit closer to what we had in the non-web world where you can create components you can reuse. Uh, but you also get performance and maintainability out of this stuff. Uh, you know, Angular and Knockout were two of the first ones that I'm aware of that created features that were reusable. You know, Angular has directives and Knockout had these uh, binding components that you could put together. So they work differently, but they allow you to create reusable pieces of HTML. And before that, the closest thing we had to were stuff like jQuery UI or Sentia controls, and they didn't really do it to the same level. So I think web components are going to really open up the box, but it's going to be a while, in my opinion, until all the browsers are really going in that direction. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get there, but it's not there yet. I just pulled up webcomponents.org, and of course, you know, the way they're, the browser support box shows Chrome, all green lights, Opera, all green lights, 
Firefox, one green light, some yellow lights. Safari, one green light, all red boxes. And IE, all red boxes. That's a shame. Well, and it just speaks to what are they measuring? What's the standard they're actually looking at? Like, I don't know what to say there. But it gets back to exactly what you're saying there, John, which is this is about how quickly browsers implement them, not what they can do. Yeah. It is. And, you know, Polymer is a great attempt to kind of to kind of start that element down there. And to me, in the outside looking in, it seems like Google, what they're doing is they're trying to push things like Polymer, um, material design and things like that with Angular towards where they want the browser to go. So right. think about it. It's a smart, and I don't know any inside information this, but I'm looking from a business perspective. If you want people to use your browser, because that's where you make your money from, then you want them to use your browser. And the way to do that is to make your browser the best. And if you start pushing things and then that forces the other browsers to say, you know what, this is something we should have too, that's where the browser standards start you know, evolving. Right. Saying, yeah, we need to have this too. And I think overall it's a good thing to keep pushing the envelope from all these different vendors. Yeah. Well, there's, you can argue standards to your blue in the face. What runs makes sense. But Chrome got burned over the whole WebSocket thing too, right? They ran yeah. down the path, implementing it really quickly, putting it in the production browser. And then when they found the big security hole, they yanked it and broke, which is not the wrong thing to do, but it broke a lot of apps. It made a lot of people angry. Hmm. Now, you could also argue the devs screwed up by using stuff that wasn't final you know but they put it in the production browser what what were they going to do yeah but yeah i agree but you know in the same sense a lot of companies look and say hey it came from google it came from microsoft let's just roll with it they yeah. know what they're doing it's a moral hazard and i appreciated what the ie team did with WebSockets, where it's like here it is it's free to download but you have to go get it separately which means you're not going to distribute this to your clients you're going to use it internally right. it's just a toy yeah, it's something to tinker with. And I know you tinker with it, Mr. Franklin. Always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's fun. We had on, um, we had some guys on in, from the uh, Google team. I do a podcast for uh, Adventures in Angular with some other folks like Joe Eames and them. Great name. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> and we had on the, uh, the Google team, basically, like four or five of the guys, you know, Brad Green and Misco, all of them, talking about what's coming with Angular 2. Because they had, in my opinion... Um, an issue to deal with when they announced Angular 2. Let me just lay it out for you, those who weren't aware of it. They had a conference in Paris uh, called NG Europe, which uh, these guys went to and they announced what was coming in Angular 2. And they're doing it way in advance. So like a year, right. I'm guessing, in advance of what's coming. So a lot of it's guesswork, right? Mm -hmm. These were our plans and intentions. And they laid out uh, a bunch of slides on a presentation. Now, most of this stuff's in Europe and it was recorded, but it wasn't live. And the recordings didn't come out for, I'm going to guess, two weeks. So the first thing that hits the internet are the slides. And one of the slides, and I, I'll find it if I can get it on your site there, it's basically a presentation slide where there's a bunch of tombstones saying, rest in peace controllers, rest in peace modules, rest in peace directives. And all this stuff is huh. on there. And, you know, without the context of what they're saying, right. <laughs> people were, you know, just not a good their pants. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> so they were flipping out. So when we had these guys on the show, we, we talked about it. And I said, look, you know, I, I love you guys and I love this stuff, but let's just go through that list. What did you really mean by each of these things? And and you know, it turns out that really none of them are those things are dying. It's that instead of using a controller the way you had it, you're now going to use these classes in ES6. Right. Instead of having a directive with um, directive definition objects, they called a DDO, you're going to have a much cleaner way to create a directive. So they were just trying to be funny, I think, about the way they did it, but 
it, you know, when people are betting their careers and jobs on using a technology, you don't want to see tombstones on a screen. No, tombstones <laughs> so, bad. <laughs> well, and that sort of headline baiting is just bad practice. Yeah. In general. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, and I look at it, I can see how somebody would make that mistake. But, um, you know, they also thought the videos were going to be like right up on the line. So I think there were just a lot of contributing factors. But the the good way to look at it, and Brad Green said this, uh, director of the Angular team there in Dart, is that, you know, and I'll paraphrase, they didn't realize how much people loved our stuff. <laughs> so the good thing is that so many people love what they're doing. They took this massive reaction to it. But bad thing is now you have to be careful what you say, right? Yeah, but I think you don't know the moment at which the audience suddenly takes everything you say as gospel. Right. You know, you were just he was just another developer some time ago. And then suddenly, you know, folks are are listening and, and using your arguments or your statements uh, in their own debates on what to do next. And suddenly everything you say is hazardous. You know, you've got to be very thoughtful, very careful about it. I think of a guy like Rocky Latka. I find one of the great diplomats, really, mm -hmm. just speaks very carefully mm -hmm. about because folks listen to him, including in his own in his own organization as well as ev everywhere else. That we have to be careful about what we say, right? And and if he's wrong about something, he's going to hear it. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, he's sometimes yeah, from yeah. me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. And, you know, and just to close the circle, so no, not scaring people by listening to this either, uh, the Angular team, where they're heading on that, there's quite a bit of information out there now about what they're actually doing with Angular 2 and how they're still supporting and actively working on Angular 1. So I don't want to send anybody down a rabbit hole right now either. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you know, it's neat to see them have the same battle that companies like Microsoft have had. Right? Yep, it's exactly. Like when you make breaking changes, how do you take this on? And how, you know, what do you deal with it? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's funny how much we can overreact. So, you know, a lot of things came out of that too. And one of the things um, they realized, but you know, they didn't, again, think about it, it's a year in a way, they don't know what the migration story is going to be because they haven't written it at all yet. So how right. can you possibly build a bridge to a place you haven't gotten to? But uh, something I started working with them on uh, personally was, the style guide that I have out there, it's all for, it's on GitHub and it's all for people using Angular today. But I'm trying to work with them and keep talking to them once in a while to say, hey, look, as you're evolving with Angular 2, let's try to do things in Angular today in the style guide that lead people on the proper path to get there. Right. You know, the syntax will be different. There'll be breaking changes. I mean, there's no way, two ways about it. But no. what can we do to help you get there so at least the gulf isn't the Grand Canyon? Right. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. You got it. It's time to wire up a JavaScript function that takes a function that calls a function that includes a function that removes worms from my desktop wallpaper and returns a value from the first function. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, you could have had a directive for that. Uh, I think maybe. Actually, <laughs> it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first... Telerik DevCraft is the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile, and desktop development. With the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. Nice. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is James Neal. Congratulations, James. Yes. I'll clap for you, sir. James Neal just won the Telerik DevCraft bundle. Huge pile of awesome from Telerik. Hey, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, 
click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we love to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. It's that easy. And uh, we also like to ask our guests, John Papa, if you had 5000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? I don't know, man. It might be something like a home security system, something I could see all the places around my yard. I'm getting to be one of those paranoid parents. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Kids are getting older. Yep. Got a girl hitting 16 this year, so oh, there boy. we go. <laughs> yeah. I only had to run back the video of what time they came home and how long they sat in the driveway once, and their boys started parking down the street. <laughs> <laughs> i've already got the motion sensor uh doorbell that uh, joe eames put me on to i think it's called skybell oh, yeah. how to make That's your nice. children want to move out <laughs> <laughs> you need to have an apartment because you're not going to live here says cosby yes <laughs> oh my god oh boy yeah, it's that time. You know, the problem is spending five grand on it is not that easy. The the new uh, I just upgraded all the cameras in the house, and the the uh, video over IP stuff has gotten cheap, even for the really good ones. It's amazing. Yeah, it's just not that bad anymore. The pricing nope. wise, you can you could spend a heck of a lot less than that and get a really nice system. And get yeah, quite quite good solutions for sure. I mean, you know, or that or fill the house with cameras. So at some point, that gets creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much did you want to see? <laughs> no, no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mute. <laughs> mute that camera. Um, I just, you know, the other part of this dealing with teenagers in this day and age is just the tracking gear that's available. I didn't even have to buy an add-on. For my current car, it'll actually text me when it goes above a certain speed, uh, email me when it drives out of a, a certain geographic zone, like all that's built in. Now. Even when you're behind the wheel, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> Which means it goes off a lot. <laughs> ding, ding, oh, ding, ding, uh, ding, ding, ding. But yeah, yeah, that stuff just exists now. It's in cars. It's, a, it's There's an app for my car. Yeah, it's getting nuts. So John, we, we've talked a little bit about Angular and Spa and, and the web components thing which uh, I suppose is the future. Do you think we're going to end up with the spec that we have now? What What's up with Microsoft not uh, supporting it in IE? Do you think they're doing their own thing? What um, What's your sense of what's going on there? You mean the as far as getting browser, browser standards support? Same? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't know exactly where everybody's heading at this point. And things have changed so much in the last couple of years, even at Microsoft, where they, you know, they've been in the same course for so long. I get the sense that they're really kind of just saying, all right, well, we're just going to go with whatever the most popular ones are and what people are want to use out in the enterprise and in the open source community. Uh, you know, and you look at what they're doing with Azure and ASP.NET and, and how they're doing the tooling support for all these different frameworks. And I can't blame them because it's like there's so many choices. When you marry yourself to one, you're really down for the count when that one changes. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like they're they're playing this the right way of let's make sure all the best frameworks and tools come from our and work on our platform. Hmm. Well, I guess the question is, I mean, why not support web components? What's the real right. downside? Yeah, I, I, I would think... What's the alternative? I would think that they would help uh, get it off the ground by supporting it and be able to have some say. 
I got to believe there's got to be some efforts doing there. But I got to tell you this. I've been wrong about the IE team for years. So probably <laughs> yeah. the worst guy to ask that is yeah. every time something totally makes sense, I'm like, wow, everyone's going to support this. They're going to do this. I, I don't have of – many, of many of the groups at Microsoft, it's the one I have the fewest uh, – really have no contacts at. Hmm. Well, I don't even want to say it's just them either. The whole thing with the Touch API debacle. Yes. That, that blew my mind. Uh, refresh our memory, Richard, please. Correct me if I'm wrong, but as I remember it, Apple implemented an, a touch API for Safari, and then there was a group put together to make create a standards body around it, and Apple decided, no, we've got a patent on this. We're not going to make it available. Make something else. Because it's a web technology, and they need to own it. Right. So then Microsoft puts together the, I think they called it Pointer. Right. And presents it, says, hey, how about we use this? Every They work on it for a while. They start implementing it in IE. And then the Google guys go, yeah, no, we're not going to implement it. Yeah. And it's touch. The pointer uh, sort of put under one event, keyboard, mouse, and touch, right? Right, right. Yeah. Was, yeah. And, and even gesture could have been captured under there, I mean, too. mouse. Yeah. And gesture, right. And, and yeah. oddly, when they went the Windows 8 route, they broke all that stuff out. It's like somebody there was like, hey, we got this great idea about breaking all these different gestures out of their own things might be a good idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Honestly, web components, I haven't seen or heard much in the IE realm with those, but I have heard the whispers everybody else has recently about the next version of IE that Mary Jo Foley's talking about and other people on the internet. Yeah, I'm, I've got a lot of high hopes because there's some bright people there and they've got to be seeing what's happening with Chrome and Firefox. And it, you know, for the love of the internet, please, let's get a good version out there. Let's just all get along, can't we? Rodney King was right. They're only hurting themselves. But else, I mean, the latest round of rumors sort of rattling around to me seems to point at some kind of battle going on inside of Microsoft about where the browser is going to go. Yeah. And I wonder too if it's about money. I mean, it's all it gets down to that, right? It's where do you make your money from? And if there's no way to make money off of doing these things, people aren't going to do it. But I, I got to think that, you know, if these other companies make money off the, building the browsers that way, that eventually Microsoft's going to go that direction. But hmm. we shall see. Yeah. I don't know who. Yeah. Who's making money on browsers? I mean, Microsoft made a pretty strong case to the U.S. government about the fact that browsers are just part of that operating system a few years ago. So, yeah, I don't know where, where this is going to end up. It's interesting because, you know, we've got we've got JavaScript everywhere now, too. We've got them in the browsers. We've got them on the servers. We've got them on devices. And I think that's one of the driving factors of where all this is going is it's not the HTML side. It's how do we get the JavaScript and the CSS to work on all these different platforms? Because right. that's becoming the language that everybody is going to be using. All right. Let me pull up a meaty subject here. And uh, we talked with Steve Sanderson about memory leaks being the biggest problem in SPAs. And to summarize that in one sentence, that, uh, that, that talk we did with him, the Azure portal is basically a big spa that uses Knockout. And, uh, you know, we, we sort of talked about memory leaks as being the bane of the spa. And what can you do or what do you do in your architecture sessions, John, in your, in your, in real life to sort of, uh, keep those things under wraps? You know, a lot of it, and he's right, there's a lot of this stuff that you do in spas, there's easy ways to go off the rails and just create this massive issue. But a lot of it isn't just spa, it's JavaScript in the browser. If you don't write with structured programming, if you don't 
build things such where you understand what JavaScript is doing and how the browser works, you're going to get a lot of you know memory leaks, variables that are hanging around, closures that keep things sticking around. Uh, it's just going to end up being a bloated nightmare. And then also just bringing too much data and managing too much data inside there. So it all starts with having a consistent set of standards that you, you start with up front. Yeah. But I'm also convinced you don't pre-optimize either. Uh, I've seen way too many teams get lost in that rabbit hole where they're trying to optimize the hell out of something. Right. And it's, it's like, guys, we got to code something too. You know? right. <laughs> so at some point, we got to start writing code. I've seen a lot of C-sharp developers. I've taught a lot of C-sharp developers that went over to JavaScript who were lost. I mean, because there's no dispose, right? I mean, you basically have to take objects and set them to null, but there's no warning that things you can, it's not like you can inspect them and see that they're null or they're not null right. they either blow up or they don't when you access them and there's some great tools too like in the browser chrome's got a great profiling tool which you can check out uh it's it's hit or miss meaning it always shows you what's going on but sometimes you can't tell exactly it's like yeah there's a problem but it yeah. can't tell exactly what is the problem <laughs> yeah i already knew there was a memory leak thanks yeah it's <laughs> somewhere between here and here somewhere above this shelf and below that shelf <laughs> <laughs> dialog box pops up. Your application is no longer working. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when Task Manager shows gigabytes assigned to a Chrome session. Yeah. <laughs> the default error message. What kind of idiot are you anyway? <laughs> but, you know, that's where things like uh, Play-Doh is a good one. That's Play-Doh like Socrates Play-Doh. Okay. Um, there's a Play-Doh tool that helps, helps you look at your code to code analysis. Things like cyclomatic complexity and all that. And, uh, unit tests and dealing with stuff with uh, JS Hint or JS Lint or ES Lint. People laugh at those kind of tools, but in my mind, they're even more important in JavaScript than they are doing something like FXCOP was in .NET. Right. Because you you don't have those guardrails in JavaScript. You can drive off the bridge and go into the bay. So you need to have those things to keep you on the right track, and you don't run them at the end of the project. You run them every day in your CI process. You run them all the time inside a terminal or command prompt while you're coding. So you know, oh, look, I've got a couple errors. You don't right. look at them in a month ago. I got 3,000 errors. What do I do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you never dig yourself out. No, no. You, you end up you know, giving yourself amnesty and saying, okay, just don't make it worse. Uh, but those tools will help you kind of stay on the track. Unit testing, I find immensely valuable for tracking these kind of issues. Unit testing JavaScript? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It just doesn't seem that easy. Wasn't it Jeff Fritz that uh, wrote a framework for doing that? Yeah, way back in the day. Yeah, it was a, I can't remember if it was unit testing or if it was uh, functional testing. I think it was unit testing. Yeah, I think you're right. How do you go about unit testing with JavaScript there, Mr. Papa? I'm glad you asked. This is a talk, man. If you get Ward Bell on this, that you would be a great talk. just go New York talk. on us? That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you know, I am Italian. I am from New York. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It only leaks out every so often. <laughs> it does. Awesome. It does. I'm a transplant into Florida. So awesome. yeah, Normally that Florida rapper stays on. Yeah, well, but... What is the Florida accent? Hello. There is none. Hi, how no. you doing? <laughs> No, we do not sound like Kermit the Frog or Fozzie Bear. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Maybe it's the sound of old people driving in the wrong lane. There Get you off go. my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> Two knuckles, a steering wheel, and a hat. Oh, my. <laughs> ah, there goes another Q-tip. <laughs> oh, but yeah, you guys definitely got to uh, do some talk. You may do a show sometime about unit testing JavaScript because it has come a long way. And it's, I hate 
unit testing. I hate to do it. I hate having them. I hate everything about it. But when I write unit tests in JavaScript, I see the value. And something Ward Bell and I've worked tons on over the last couple of years is making it frictionless. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the only way it's going to get done. Yeah. Because the tests are the easy part. It's all the setup. Yeah. And that's the part we've been working on getting to. We call it time to first it. And it's a test in the JavaScript world and using tools like Jasmine or Mocha and getting to that first test is, is really what you try to do. So you're not writing 300 lines of code just to write the test. Um, but those tools out there, you know, my preferred ones are using Karma as a test runner, Mocha as the tool to actually write the test, sign on to do my spies and stubs, uh, and then putting all this together so we can run it through either terminal with like something like Karma and Gulp, or also running it just in the browser to look at all the tests and, uh, it really hooks into CI processes great, and it's really not that hard anymore, and especially with frameworks like Angular. So more testable frameworks combined with better testing tools and test runners, but it's still, I mean, you've got, this is a lot to glue together. I, I grab those links as fast as you spit them out, sir. It's not easy to do. This is a lot of pieces. It is not easy to do, and that's why I say Ward and I have been trying to get to this point where we can make it. So it's not, you know, you have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. And we're actually proposing a course to Pluralsight. We haven't pitched it yet on how to make this frictionless. Uh, and he actually is releasing a library, which I'm helping him with, called Bard, B-A-R-D. Mm-hmm, right. Uh, which is going to be, it's Bard.js up on NPM already, although we haven't announced it yet. And it's a library that's going to help people write tests easier in Angular and in Mocha. Okay. Uh, so that's one of the steps. The other step I find is, I've been using Gulp and Grunt a lot over the last couple of years, and having a good JavaScript task runner that you can simply just point them at your tests and let them run and go uh, is immensely useful. So there's all, you're right, there's like seven or eight little puzzle pieces that have to come together, and having some map that kind of does that for you is the next step in my mind. Grunt over Karma? Uh, I run Gulp over Karma, but yes, you can do Grunt over Karma too. Okay. I mean, we're back to another whole suite of like tribes of of uh, of tools here to try and figure out how you want to make this work. Yeah, and I think some of those will condense. They've got to, right? So yeah, I think Gulp and Grunt are kind of here to stay for the build automation frameworks, and those are going to be on their own because you need something to run everything else. Gulp and Grunt on their own don't really do anything. They're just a vehicle to get you your code out. But then there's all these plugins that plug into them to run unit tests and to minify code and concatenate and do all these other wonderful things, run JS hint. Right. Um, that stuff, there's like 40 or 50 things you can plug into them to make it work. And that right combination, as you suggest, that's really hard to know. But, you know, it also speaks to a maturity in the marketplace. We don't, we don't work on tools until we're getting to a level of sophistication in our apps that our tools aren't holding up. Right. So, I mean, it sounds like... And, and I'm thinking back to Bart, the, the the commenter at the beginning of the show, who's saying, "Hey, you guys aren't doing a lot on JavaScript frameworks." It's like, uh, I think there, if there's anything, it was we ran with a lot of JavaScript frameworks when they were coming out constantly. Yeah. But as they started to stabilize, there's not as much need to do shows on them. And now you're starting to see the side effect of that st- stability is this increase in tooling. Yeah, you are. And I think, you know, things settled down and, you know, Grunt and Gulp are kind of settled in, Angular and Ember and React, those kind of settled in on the front side. Yep. And it's all the little bit players now, you know, all the little guys who do the little pieces like testing with this and stubbing with that. And, you know, you need a, a widget library. And those are the things that are more in flux at this point than the overall big pieces of your framework. Right. 
Now, you're not wrestling around with how you're going to fetch data from the server anymore or how you're going to render it on the screen. It's how you're going to test it, how you're going to fix it, and how you're going to deploy it. Exactly, exactly. And I think the more you know, the great thing about working in JavaScript is, you know, doing Angular, for example, working on a project like that, getting into something like Gulp or Grunt afterwards, it's not that hard. Right. You know, you're already using that language. And people ask me all the time, why do you love Gulp and Grunt? Why don't I just use Web Essentials Visual Studio to create all my packages and minify my code and bundle it up and put it together? And because there's so much more than just minifying and bundling your code. Right. And how do you do cache busting? And, and how do you make sure that you've taken all your HTML templates and put them in a template cache so Angular can handle them without making XHR calls? And how do you make sure you've optimized your images and your fonts and run your unit tests? And there's so many aspects. And it's very specific to every company. It's not like every company runs them the same way. So what you have to do is figure out how do you make your build pipeline. And I think that's where these tools like Gulp and Grunt, they're great because they just give you that skeleton and say, here's a road, you guys put whatever you want on it, and we'll get you there. Right. And the question is, does this ultimately get rolled into our tool suite? You know, I, maybe I'm still thinking like a Microsoft guy, that it's not if it's not all Microsoft tools, then what are we doing? Well, I think you're right. And I think that's where, so I work at a shop where a lot of people are OSX and they all use terminal and I've kind of gone for the last year. I don't know if you guys knew this or not. I have used OSX exclusively uh, and I have never used it before that hmm. last year and a half. And so I'm seeing their world in terminal and doing all this and it's, it's great and it's wonderful. I'm fast and productive, but then going to the Microsoft world, I'm starting to see, you know, people still want in their IDEs to run these tools and you're starting to see things like gulp and grunt and yeoman and karma running right. inside the tooling. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nope. That's great to sometimes it's actually better. When you've got 10,000 tests, I don't want to see them scrolling by on a black and white screen. No. <laughs> you know, I want it in my tool. Yeah, I want it somewhere. I want it somewhere else. And I think that's the bigger thing here is let's not reinvent anything. Let's allow it to be embedded in part of our existing tool suite. So we don't have to start over. We don't have to go a completely different way. Hey, John, have you played with SignalR at all? I have. I have. It's basically sockets for Microsoft World, yeah. Right. And what what do you think of using SignalR as opposed to like a, a web API layer? You know, I've actually had folks ask me, you know, and more straight up saying, how, what do you think about instead of using HTTP with regular old web API, just making all your calls through sockets? And it's an interesting concept to, to keep that open because, you know, your speed and some of your latency stuff goes away completely. But I think you're also opening up your, literally, <laughs> mm -hmm. yourself to a lot of other communication hazards that we have never dealt with before. So Because it's so high level, you really... Yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there, though, for things. So you, like, if you're trying to do, like, a reservation system, it'd be great if you instantly knew when these things were available and changed as inventory moves. Uh, that kind of thing would be awesome for it. Well, there's so many good reasons to use it, you know, especially if you expand with the backplane, you know in the cloud, you can really scale it up. But, uh, you know, I think of apps that have used it. Um, I think it was, what was it, Richard? It was uh, on the last road trip, the the music player that we talked about. I think they're using Sigalar, aren't they? Was it Rio? Um, RDO? RDO. Yeah, RDO. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've I looked at the WebSocket spec and trying to do that stuff manually 
<laughs> and you're talking about a guy who's done a lot of sockets programming. Yeah, not afraid of much, Mr. Not Franklin. Not afraid of much. That scares the you-know-what out of me. And for somebody to open up a Telnet client and start hacking web sockets, oh, no, that's not going to happen. But certainly, uh, yeah. I, I, so anyway, I, I'm just curious is because it just it simplifies a lot of things, but you know, like a lot of high-level tools, What's really going on there? I don't really have a lot of control over it. Well, I think you're moving that direction too. Because have you guys worked at all with Firebase or Angular Fire uh, recently? Angular Fire. Yeah, it's a it's a cool tool. It's basically cloud based, and I think Google just bought Firebase actually uh, recently. But it's a cloud based tool. Which one of the things they drive home is you can actually do three way data binding. Mm-hmm. So you could have your app up, and Richard could have his app up, and I could have my app up, and we're let's say watching stocks or watching basketball scores, whatever. Right. As I change data on my app, it's instantly data binding two-way with my app, but it's also binding with the cloud and then to your data. Right. Hmm. So, you know, they're using similar types of technologies, you know, socket-based technologies to connect everybody through the cloud. So I, I see that as a convergence of web, cloud, and, you know, and sockets to kind of get us there. Yeah. This is pretty cool stuff. The browser as a smart client host, you know? This is how you build clients now, and it has the comparable set of capabilities, but it works in a large diversity of form factors. Like Not only that, but it works in native apps as well as Windows apps and all sorts of other things. So like, There's a lot of reasons to go there. Oh, yeah. And you can build this with Ionic Framework and move it over to a mobile phone. And you know, the opportunities, that's the way I look at this market right now is while some things are solidified, the game's not over, right? There's so many opportunities still out there to make things better and to go into new areas. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever talked about Ionic before, dude. No, tell us. Ionic is amazing. So you can't talk about Ionic without knowing about Angular because it's really built on top of Angular. And it's right. a great mobile framework for creating Angularized apps that you can then deploy with like PhoneGap Cordova over to iOS or uh, Android or whatever you want. Uh, and it gives you a lot of that stuff out of the box. It comes with its own Angular directives to make things easy. It comes with directives. Um, actually, it's got a partner. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, NG Cordova, I think, is a library they wrote uh, from the Ionic team, which basically hooks in working with Cordova to make it easier to work with it from Ionic and Angular. So if you want to know, okay, uh, the vibration sensor, I want to know if it's vibrating or not, you can actually use a directive to actually figure that out now. Interesting. So they've got all this stuff tied together where Ionic gives you the visuals and the layouts. Uh, Kenji Cordova gives you the hooks into Cordova library. And then you've got Angular for all the Angular goodness. And then on top of that, they're starting to team up with Famous, uh, which is basically super speed animations on the web uh, that are faster than a lot of the browsers give you animations out of the box. So you put all those together and the apps you can build for mobility uh, to me, that's that's the next really exciting chapter we can get into. That's really interesting. I mean, you just don't think about doing that kind of stuff on your phone via JavaScript. I I know. It's amazing. It's kind of terrifying. And, you know, the famous guys, I, I don't remember the the CTO's name, whatever, but I was listening to an interview with him on JavaScript Jabber, and he was talking about how they wrote some of these apps. And one of their first jobs was to take Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and then redo them in basically PhoneGap with Famous. And right. put them up there and then put them side by side with the real app and see if you could tell the difference. Right. And they said they knew they had the thing going when you couldn't tell the difference speed wise, performance wise, you know, smoothness. Uh, so that's 
it's all early for those things, uh, for famous especially. Ionic is not so early. But I think we're starting to see, due to the, the framework stabilizing, like Angular, now you've got things like Ionic that can build on top of it for Cordova. And then you've got things like Famous, which can be integrated. But it all starts with getting that framework solidified. Right. And without that, how can you build these things? Yeah, I remember back in the day making having an argument about I could do anything you could do in WinForms, I could do in DHTML. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> right. And it, there were points where I had to stand on my head, but you could do it. But the JavaScript engines just weren't were not fast. You can only go so far. Yeah, and if you look now at the speed test and the engines, they don't improve at, you know, at these stock market rising rates anymore. They're only so fast you can get, right? Yeah, they've now gotten into the fast category, and that's as fast as they're going to get. Yes, and that's where you get things like productivity gains, and that's where Angular and Ionic can help you. And then you get into, well, I can't create games. Everyone's like, spas are great, but you don't want to do any gaming on these things, right? right. Uh, well, you start looking at some of the things you can do with, like, Famous, and I have no idea how you pronounce it, by the way. It's F-A-M-O dot U-S. Yeah, I think Famous is fair. Sure. Or it's, or it's Famo-Us. Famo-Us. <laughs> Famo-Us. All I know is it's search-resistant. <laughs> <laughs> You try searching on famous web animations. Let me tell you, the library's <laughs> not high on the stack. Yeah, and it's, it's, the stuff is pretty wicked cool. And they're trying to be agnostic that they work with uh, Angular. And I think they're trying to work with things like React and Ember as well. And so it's, it's pretty interesting how things are evolving. But again, I, I can't stress enough that if you didn't have a stable framework, how could you do any of this stuff? It's, that's why I think. It's not that Angular's won the war. It's that Angular has solidified itself as a major player. Right. Now, will the others do that or not? I think it'd be a good thing if they do. But we have a major player. Things are getting built on top of it. And I think it's time to say, you know what? I may not like JavaScript, but it's here to stay. Not going away. And we better start building it. Yeah. It's a good place to leave it, John, I think. Thanks very much for talking to us. It's always a pleasure catching up with you, sir. You got it, guys. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a